Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. The impeachment process is over. President Donald Trump has been acquitted by the Senate. Earlier today, he took a victory lap in front of the media and several hundred close supporters. We went through hell unfairly, did nothing wrong, did nothing wrong. I've done things wrong in my life, I will admit. Not purposely, but I've done things wrong. But this is what the end result is. But the president's impeachment and acquittal was no surprise to those who closely follow our next guest. American University historian and professor Alan Lichtman predicted Mr. Trump's impeachment back in 2016. He outlined his argument in the book, The Case for Impeachment. Professor Lichtman joins us today to talk about the implications of Trump's impeachment for the upcoming November elections. Using a system he developed over three decades ago, he has correctly predicted the U.S. presidential election winners since 1984. Professor Lichtman. Lichtman, welcome to Reset. Thank you so much, Jen. Well, you could say I told you so, but that's not your style. But tell us how you predicted President Trump's impeachment so many years ago. I actually predicted President Trump's impeachment in a Washington Post interview September 23rd, 2016. At the same time, I predicted that he would win the presidency. In fact, right here in my office is a note right after the election which says, Professor, congrats, good call, Donald J. Trump, right on the Washington Post article. But he's not much of a reader, so he probably did not get to the second big prediction that he'd be impeached. How did I know that? I know that because I don't have a formula like I do for election results, but I studied the campaign and the president's entire career. What I found was someone who had no respect for the law, starting as early as the early 1970s, when he had violated the Fair Housing Act by discriminating against minorities in his real estate company. I found someone who made a practice, a way of life of lying, who had burst into politics on the back of the biggest, worst, most protracted lie in American political history that our first African-American president, Barack Obama, was illegitimate because he was really born in Africa, not Hawaii. I also found someone who had no record of public service. In fact, as we know, his so-called charity was dissolved as a sham, who had spent his whole life promoting himself and his brand, often at the expense of others. I also saw someone who the Mueller report later verified had welcomed and exploited Russian intervention in the 2016 campaign on his behalf. It was all of those characteristics that convinced me that this was the kind of president who would commit the abuses that would lead to impeachment. What about his acquittal? His acquittal was absolutely expected because the Republican Party has dissolved into the Trump Party. And here's why. Donald Trump has trashed everything that the Republican Party once professed to stand for. Personal morality, personal responsibility, gone. States' rights, limited government, fiscal responsibility, gone. Respect for traditional institutions, gone. So the Republican Party has nothing left to fall back on but Donald Trump. What surprised me was not the acquittal, which was 100% predictable, but the fact that uh, one courageous 
Republican, their former presidential nominee, Mitt Romney, stood out in dissent. He not only demolished all of the arguments of the defense, but he became the only member of the president's own party in any of the three presidential impeachment trials to vote for the president's conviction. Senator Romney gave the justification for that vote and noted why he had to do it. Let's take a listen. I am profoundly religious. My faith is at the heart of who I am. I take an oath before God as enormously consequential. I knew from the outset that being tasked with judging the president, the leader of my own party, would be the most difficult decision I have ever faced. I was not wrong. So a long pause there as Senator Romney collected himself. How much does his vote matter? As you said, he's the only Republican to cross party lines to vote for President Trump to be convicted. But in the end, that one vote didn't really mean much. What the impeachment means is not just the vote, but the legacy of history the current interpretation of the vote, and ultimately the verdict of the voters in November. And Romney certainly succeeded in changing the conversation about this vote and making the president's gloating about being vindicated a bit tarnished. So there have been some rumors that the House may still subpoena John Bolton. Do you see a scenario where President Trump could be brought up on more impeachment charges, or is this the end of the impeachment road for President Trump? Well, legally, of course, he can be brought up on other charges. The Constitution gives the House sole authority over impeachment. I don't think we'll revive these charges again, but I think a lot more is about to come out from John Bolton's book, maybe his testimony, uh, Freedom of Information Act, releases, and all of it is going to be incriminating. So far, every piece of information that's come out since the impeachment has been incriminating. Where I do see a possible impeachment, again, although it's highly unlikely, would be if indeed the Supreme Court authorizes the release of Trump's financial records and they show some heinous crime, such as laundering Russian money. That And only that, in my view, could lead to new articles of impeachment. Well, you've stated that the Democrats have actually helped themselves by going through the impeachment process. What do you mean by that? Well, on my 13-key system, one of the keys that counts against the party holding the White House is the scandal key, which was certainly turned when the president became only the third chief executive in history to be impeached. And let me note, that if you look at the two other impeached presidents, Johnson and Clinton, and Nixon, who resigned, in no case did their party win the next presidential election. In particular, the Democrats lost in 2000, confounding the conventional wisdom we still hear today that the impeachment was unwise, produced a political backlash. Democrats lost in 2000 in an election they otherwise should easily have won at a time of peace prosperity and domestic and foreign tranquility. Now, the impeachment, the scandal key is only one key, though. 
it doesn't determine the election. And right now on my system, there aren't enough keys to count Trump out. It would take six keys to turn against him. Right now, there are four to five. And so I have said the election is too close to call. We have to see what happens over the next several months. And you know, Jen, in the age of Trump, things can change overnight. Well, this morning at a national prayer breakfast, President Trump took a veiled shot at Senator Mitt Romney's justification for voting yes on his removal from office. Let's listen. Our great country and your president have been put through a terrible ordeal by some very dishonest and corrupt people. They have done everything possible to destroy us and by so doing very badly hurt our nation. I don't like people who use their faith as justification for doing what they know is wrong. And the president also emphasized religious themes in Tuesday's State of the Union address. In America, we don't punish prayer. We don't tear down crosses. We don't ban symbols of faith. We don't muzzle preachers and pastors. In America, we celebrate faith. We cherish religion. We lift our voices in prayer. And we raise our sights to the glory of God. When you see this post-impeachment rollout of culture war themes... Professor, what does it say to you about the upcoming election? It says to me what I already knew. This is going to be the nastiest, most dishonest, most corrupt election we've ever seen. More so even than 2016, when Trump welcomed and exploited, as the Mueller report proved, Russian interference in our elections. What's extraordinary about Donald Trump is he's always projecting his own failings on others. He is the most lying president in history, accumulating, according to the fact checkers, over 16,000, not 1,600, 16,000 lies or misleading statements since he's been president. That's more than all previous presidents combined. And yet, according to a recent Gallup poll, he's seeing his highest approval ratings of his presidency, around 49%. So if a poll is to be believed, He is resonating with some voters in this country. What do you make of that? No doubt. But the Gallup poll is pretty much of an outlier. Uh, The average of the polls, most of them taken since the Gallup poll, shows he's more like in the 43 to 44 percent range. Not insignificant. Uh, Not insignificant. A little bit higher than his base. I think absolutely culture war works. It does resonate. There are a very substantial proportion of Americans in this country who are worried about what they consider to be their traditional white Protestant culture under siege. You know, that's been a common theme throughout American history. It's absolutely nothing new. After all, it was in the 1920s that we adopted these very stringent uh, immigration quotas that weren't repealed till 1965. That was when America experienced prohibition. So this conflict between diversity and pluralism and cultural nationalism has been a theme that has resonated throughout American history. But also don't forget the economy is doing very, very well in a good economy like this, although much exaggerated by Trump, uh, his approval rating should be 65 percent 
not in the low to mid 40% range. And let's not forget, a substantial majority of American people in the polls thought that Donald Trump both abused his power and committed contempt of Congress, even if they were not ready to say he should be removed from office. About 60% of Americans believe that he should either have been removed or been censured. Only 31% in the most recent poll believed all the charges should have been dismissed. So, you know, when you look a little deeper, it's a very complicated picture, which is why this election is too close to call. We don't even know who the Democratic nominee is yet. Well, staying with the State of the Union address, one of the biggest applause lines came when President Trump touched on the topic of your latest book, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America. Let's listen. Just as we believe in the First Amendment, we also believe in another constitutional right that is under siege all across our country. So long as I am president, I will always protect your Second Amendment right to keep and bear arms. How big of a role will this question play in the November election? Oh, I I think it will play. I think the Democrats should play. Look, this is why I wrote the book, Repeal the Second Amendment, the case for a safer America, because we lived over 200 years with a Second Amendment that was interpreted by policymakers and every Supreme Court decision as protecting a collective right to self-defense through a well-regulated militia. It was only after the Second Amendment was hijacked by the NRA in the late 20th century that they distorted it to establish an unlimited right to arms. They don't care who gets the guns, gangbangers, drug dealers, people prone to suicide, long as they and their paymasters in the gun industry can sell guns. And so Donald Trump has wrapped himself in the Second Amendment for his, as an excuse, for his shameful inaction in the face of these horrific mass murders, which are but the tip of the iceberg. 15,000 Americans approximately are murdered by guns each year. You know, if you believe the NRA, we should be the most safest democracy in the world. But compared to our peer democracies in the G7 group of nations, an American is 20 times more likely to be murdered by a gun. That's not 20%. That's 20 times. And we have the president and others in the thrall of the gun lobby using a distorted Second Amendment as an excuse for doing nothing more than thoughts and prayers. No other nation on earth tolerates this kind of slaughter of its citizens. Professor, when you look at the upcoming presidential election and you look at your prediction system, which keys does President Trump have going for him? And you mentioned five keys that he has working against him right now. Yeah, the way the system works is kind of tally the negative keys. Take six to count the president out. Locked in against him, of course, is losses in the midterm elections. He has not achieved any major foreign policy success. Uh, North Korea, Israel, Palestine, peace, Middle East. And while he is a great showman, I don't give him the incumbent charisma key because unlike Ronald Reagan, as we saw from his poll numbers, his appeal is to a particular slice of the electorate not broadly. The vast majority of American people don't think he's honest and trustworthy. And then finally, the 
catastrophic failure with our withdrawal from Syria and essentially turning the Mideast over to the Russians, something that the, the Russians have been seeking for literally hundreds of years. So that's five, but not enough to count him out. Another key would have to turn. And what could change between now and then? I think all the keys are long shots, but they could turn. You could see the emergence of a third party. There could be social unrest in the wake of Trump's acquittal, his policies, and the upcoming election. We could see the emergence of a charismatic Democratic nominee, although I do not see that at the moment among the various candidates. And by the way, let's face it, Donald Trump succeeded in wiping out Joe Biden. You know, a lot of the trial was spent dishonestly smearing Biden, who was carrying out U.S. policy, the policy of all our allies to get rid of a corrupt prosecutor in Ukraine. He's fallen like a rock. But I'm not sure that was a wise political calculation on Donald Trump's part. The two candidates who do seem to have pizzazz, the potential to emerge as charismatic. It's not Joe Biden, it's Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg. I want you to put this into some historical context for us, because right now I think many people feel like the country is at its most divided point in, in many, many years when you talk to Trump supporters, they are Trump supporters. When you talk to people who aren't supporters of Trump, they have very strong feelings about that. Is this a unique time in American history or is it not? Is this something that we've done before? It's not unique. Of course, the nation was even more polarized between slave and free in the 1850s. And that was only resolved by a civil war. So the divisions are not quite as bitter and as critical as they were back then. But certainly in the modern era, this is the most polarized politics we have ever seen. And it's very, very sad because polarized politics do not work in the interests of the country. They only work in the interests of politicians who care only about their personal political power, not about the nation. This is only going to change with a new realization at the grassroots, a new mobilization at the grassroots, that we must have leaders who put the nation first, not their own political ambitions, and who strive to put us together rather than to benefit politically by bitter and deep divisions. We are really at a crossroads in America. And uh, our democracy hangs in the balance. And let me remind every one of your listeners that democracy is fragile. Like other precious things, it can be destroyed. In the great age of democracy, around the time of the end of World War I, there were nearly 30 democracies. Many had risen recently. In the early, by the early years of World War II, we were down to 12 democracies. Democracies can die. And it's up to the American people to make sure our democracy will survive. Don't depend on the leaders. That's Alan Lichtman. He's a presidential historian at American University and author of The Case for Impeachment and more recently, Repeal the Second Amendment, The Case for a Safer America. Professor Lichtman, thanks for speaking with us. My pleasure, Jen. 
And that's today's Reset. Come back tomorrow for our Friday News Roundup, our weekly look at the biggest stories from Chicago and the region. I'm Jen White. Thanks for listening, and let's talk again soon.